When I was a kid, we always said grace, no matter what. Sometimes we would read from a book of graces. Sometimes my mom would just say, thank you for our health and family and for this food, and we would say, amen. Sometimes we would sing an old Girl Scout song that my mom had changed the words to. Neath these tall green trees we stand, grateful for this blessed land. Thanks we give for stars above, sun and sky and those we love. Some of you may know a different version that I don't actually even know. <clears throat> now when I'm in groups of fellow Unitarian Universalists, we often sing out, oh, we give thanks. And in our house right now, my housemates Annie and Lucas introduced a family grace that we do when we eat together and say with their four-year-old. It goes like this. We give thanks that we have food. We know that many people do not. God bless the revolution. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. Feel free to use. I have historically been a bit skeptical of required devotional practices. Food requires grace. I've always felt a bit unsettled about anyone who told me that I should do a particular religious or spiritual thing on a particular timeline. Amen, if you have ever felt that way. Amen? It has pushed my buttons around control, especially as a young woman of color, with so many other cultural forces and scripts telling me what to do, what to eat, what to wear, what jobs are appropriate, how to behave. And I've pushed back on many of those expectations that were not my own, including some around practices of the spirit. As I've stayed laser-focused on telling the difference between my own internal sense of integrity and instinct and what the world expects of me, I've often relished bucking convention and felt irritated by even the idea of spiritual practices that I was not fully in control of. Witnessing friends observe Lent or Ramadan or pray the rosary or meditate daily made me feel skittish and wary. Who is telling me that I need to pray or sing or meditate or move when I don't want to and why would I listen was sort of my general feeling. But in that deep and good discernment to sort out my path from the path of the prescribed world, Yes, I will be an opinionated Asian woman. No, I don't want to get married. Yes, I do want to dedicate my life to justice. I also pushed away some of the ancient offerings about the wisdom of regular, disciplined practices of the spirit. I learned a song with words by David Schiffman set to music by the song leader Lisa G. Littlebird. In desperation, we found freedom. In freedom, we found love. In love, we found devotion. In devotion, spirit found us. 
I learned this song from a group of folks interrupting our fossil fuel addiction by turning off pipelines, preventing their construction, blocking coal from being burned. In devotion, spirit found us. Those words stuck. I remember a colleague asking me once what would be in a small book for us as Unitarian Universalists that we could turn to in a moment of crisis. She was particularly thinking about folks in the military, far from home, there perhaps by choice or perhaps not, facing mortality each day. What would be the prayers, the songs, the slips of words that did not require Google or good memory, but that would come unbidden with muscle memory, even in a panic, in crisis, when we most can't think of anything to comfort or save or soothe us. And that song, like many songs before, became something of that for me. A tune and rhythm that I taught myself after we sang it Yes, as grace before a meal with those who are disrupting for the earth. I belted it loud on the drive back from Western Massachusetts, screaming it, crying it, whispering it. Taught it to everyone who I thought needed to hear it, which was everyone. Even though I don't sing it nearly as beautifully as Lisa does, which you can find if you Google it. In our personal lives and the life of the world, there is often so much that has us feeling off kilter, unbalanced, destabilized, has us hungry for the songs, the words, for the hundreds of prostrations that we need to remind us what we are devoted to. Devotional practices I used to think of solely as top-down religion, control, telling me what to pray and when. On the mass pike, singing the words that felt so true to my life and to our hurting world in desperation, in freedom, in love, in devotion. I remembered again that devotion does not need to be spiritual practice without consent, does not need to be an expectation that I passively obey. Devotion in its literal meaning is about the practices that remind us who and what we are devoted to, who and what who and what we are trying to put at the center of our lives. Jenny, so many caring hands. For some of us, it is praying the rosary, or I recently heard about. Okay, one moment, I'm just going to run up there. Hang on.
praying the rosary, which could happen when you're getting your motorcycle blessed in New Hampshire, is that in northern New Hampshire. For some of us, it might be the serenity prayer. It might be that grace that your whole life your mom made you say before a meal. A full breath. Running, cooking, writing cards, gratitudes before bed, morning pages or other journaling, an altar, horoscopes, a bell rung. The progression of that song surprised me when I first heard it. In desperation, we found freedom. In freedom, love, in love, devotion, in devotion, spirit finds us. I don't know about you all, but not a lot of songs that I sing, especially spiritual ones, start out with desperation. But I think that's why it fit. Because these are desperate times for so many of us. Whether we are surviving or under attack as immigrants, as Jewish folks, as black folks, as queer folks, as working poor folks, as Muslim folks. Whether we are thinking about our planet or our aging parents, our terrible two-year-olds or the tyrants of our world. Plenty of desperation to go around. And then the freedom after naming the desperation, the surrender to what is. Here we are, moving from the outrage of it should not be this way to the clarity of it is, and it's about what I am in the face of it and where we go from here. And then love. That somehow freedom allows us to love ourselves and our people through this. To commit to love despite it all. And then that tricky one, devotion. What does it look like to devote ourselves to love and to our people? To come back with routine and discipline over and over again. And then, so says the song, spirit is there, finding us, busting through in the most surprising moments, showing us those wild miracles that really do happen in spite of it all. The baby born, the healthcare that gets paid for, the deportation that is stopped, we fall in love, we make rent, we make a new way. I'm partway through reading the novel There, There by Tommy Orange. And it's a Zoom way in and a Zoom way out on indigenous love and life and heartbreak and healing in Oakland. And it begins with a quote by Bertolt Brecht, the Marxist and playwright who went into exile when Hitler was elected and was blacklisted during the Red Scare. In the dark times, will there also be singing? Yes there will also be singing about the dark times. Our devotional practices are not about separation from the world or our daily lives. They are about what we need in our world and our daily lives to recall what we are truly devoted to. 
and about having a commitment to the rhythm and discipline that our lives need. And this could be a rhythm that comes from outside of us, honoring the equinoxes and the solstices, regular reflection that comes at the invitation of a podcast, a book, a calendar of holy days. And it can be a rhythm that comes from the inside, from our own intention to take a full breath each morning before we get out of bed, or sing a song each day, or cook a full meal once a week and eat it sitting down, or spend a few hours once a month with writing that is sacred to us. Our reading today is a beautiful list of possible devotional practices, ways to work into our lives, the pause, the reminder, the call back to the love that we are devoted to. Dig your hands in this earth, wash yourself in seawater, walk amongst grandmother trees, root yourself there, kiss your lover, breathe from your belly, sit on your cushion, remember your laughter, remind yourself who you are, call your family, gather your team, get with your people. I've learned that the invitation to devotion to a practice that reminds me what I'm devoted to, despite my earlier wariness, is best answered with regularity and routine. That is how a song goes from one I heard once at Grace to one that lives in my heart, that comes to me when I'm most frantic, most ungrounded, when I most need it. My parents live in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, which is where I went to high school. The street where the shooting was is where I bought my prom dress at the Goodwill and where we would go to coffee shops when I was a teen and scheme about getting out of Ohio. It's where I bought some of my first CDs at a record shop that I thought was so hip and intimidating. It's where my parents go for a fun night out and the sex shops fly rainbow flags, and my brother and I go to a brewery when we visit that never existed when I was a kid there. The Monday after the shooting was the fifth anniversary of the murder of John Crawford III by police in the Walmart in the same Dayton suburb where I grew up. My parents and so many others turned quickly from the grief and shock of the mass shooting on Saturday night to how this would impact the vigil planned for Monday. Despite the fear and overwhelm and grief, they called on people to come, to not stay home, to honor John's life and share rage at the ongoing injustice of his death. Ohio is an open carry state. There would be NRA folks and openly white supremacist folks. There would be John's family and friends. I called my mom before they went to the rally, to the vigil, scared for them, scared for us, and scared for us. Keep calm and carry on, she said. The writer and former Dayton resident, Lewis Wallace, wrote these words that weekend. There was a vigil yesterday for the shooting victims, and each year, 
there is a vigil for John Crawford III in the Walmart parking lot outside where he was killed. A vigil will take place today in which people lie prostrate as they have year after year. Wallace's words, for many the exercise of vigil is both a collective act of healing and a frustrating, underwhelming act. No vigil can resurrect lost lives, nor can it prevent the next round of terror. Wallace goes on, but it strikes me that the concept of vigil refers to an act of grief and an act of keeping watch, being vigilant. I want to think of vigil as the work of building and protecting true community of safety. Looking out, keeping watch for the safety of our families, our homes, our communities, our hearts, our bodies. For five years for John and for so many others, my mom and Lewis and so many others vigiled a devotional practice held with discipline, a calling back to the devotion to community and to the sacredness of all lives. And so the day after the shooting, the muscle memory of years and the practice familiar and unwavering, the crew solid, people knew who they would see there, they knew who would bring the signs and the water and the cough drops. They vigiled for John. In desperation, we found freedom. In freedom, we found love. In love we found devotion, in devotion, spirit found us. In these impossible times in the life of our world and in our own lives, may we be devoted, imperfect practitioners of our faith, weaving into our busy lives the things we need to call us back to remind us who and what we are devoted to. May we find the rhythm of the prostrations that we need so that we can be love and love on our people. May in devotion, spirit find us. Amen. <laughs>